Hey, dude, this dog leg stinks, man. Okay, groomer, do something about it, man. you pet stylists you found the groom pod welcome to our virtual salon my name is Susie, and i'm your host i'm a mobile groomer from seattle washington and anyone who knows me will tell you i love to talk especially about my job one of my favorite people to talk to is my friend and mentor and co-star of the show miss barbara bird but Miss Barbara Bird is not here today. Welcome to episode 347A, a remix episode of The Groom Pod. I've been doing a lot of camping and it has got me a little bit behind. So we have chosen four topics for your listening pleasure from old shows, which we have put together all in this one new show. So not necessarily in this order. We've got hard water and soft water which is really the chelating question that was asked on the Facebook page. We've got blog versus science, time management, and shampoo safety. I hope you guys enjoy it. I know it's a repeat, but we'll be back with a fresh new episode next week. And here you go. If you're looking for a software solution for your shop, mobile, or house call, Groom More is it. It has online booking and online forms and intake or matted dog forms, payment processing, reminders and wait lists, inventory, routing, calendar and QuickBooks syncs, and most importantly, 24-hour service. And they've given us a great offer. You can switch over to Groom More and try it for two months at half off. Just put in the code GROOMPOD. Ready, groomers? Here comes our first appointment. Time management is so very important, and for some people it comes very naturally, and for others, not so much. Some people say if you want to get something done, you hand it to the busiest person in the room, and they'll get it done because they know how to get stuff done. It's what they do. I'm that person. I'm the busiest person in the room 90% of the time. Time management is really important for two main reasons. To be more productive, Also for the stress factor, right? Right. Because the stress factor is that when you start being off of your time during a day, the stress starts to plow you under exponentially. It just gets magnified. It just starts growing and growing on you because you're freaking out that you're short of time, you know, and then you have to call somebody and say they won't be done yet. It's critical to your sanity. If you can just get a hold of the time management issue, you begin to feel a little bit more control in your life, just in general. If you can control your environment and control what's going on and control your time management, you can have more money and you can even have more leisure time if all of these things fall into place. So what do we actually mean by time management? What we mean by time management, Barbara, is really kind of a misnomer because Time really can't be managed in per se, right? We can't change the minutes or the hours. We can't or the days. slow it down. Yeah, I know. you're right. Yeah, we can't. We can't kind of. We can't make it be quitting time before it's quitting time. All we can do is kind of manage how we interact with that clock, right? Right. Right. So, one of the ways we can do that. 
So there's many ways we can do that. But one of the things we've got to look for is ways that we waste time during the day. Not wasting time and not letting others waste time for you is a big part of time management. That second part is harder for me because I have a tendency to be a storyteller and like to do the interacting with the people part of it. You know, a lot of my people are old and shut in and they pay for my stories as much as they pay for my grooming. So my time management gets screwed up there. But I've, of course, managed my business by making time management not an issue. <laughs> I, I get there when I get there. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the time wasters. Here's one that I know you're extremely familiar with, Barbara. Clutter. Well, I am the queen of clutter. It's my Achilles heel. It's, it's a time waster. Can't find a fucking thing. In my whole fucking house. I did not pick pick this because of that. You just wanted to, you forced me to say the F bomb. Clutter is the word that will do it. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yes, I'm a clutter bug. I can't stand my clutter. I'm going insane in my clutter. And part of my clutter is because of my natural being. But it's also because of my crippledness. And so stuff is up on tops of uh, surfaces, and then it's hiding other stuff. It's one thing if you just have a single layer of clutter. Okay, a single layer of clutter can be managed by using color. (laughs) (laughs) For example, if I want to find a coffee mug, I look for this Mexican Calaveras multicolored green, blue, red, white, orange, Mexican artwork, and that's going to stand out, whereas a plain black plate can get totally lost. And here's what happened here at home. I bought some heartburn medication, and I buried it in my clutter, and I didn't find it for five days. Oh, bummer. I went five days with heartburn before I found the medicine that I knew I just bought. Oh, that's frustrating. That's stress. Looking, looking, looking for that thing that you know you had 15 minutes ago. And it has somehow become absorbed into the clutter. I'm at the point at work where I can't stand to have to look for things. That's one thing that, that makes me shout. I've got tips for you. I keep my grooming table pretty well organized. So especially my scissors. I have them arranged and I have a preferred order of arrangement. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first rule of managing your clutter is to remove from sight the things that you don't use more often than every week. So if it's something that you use occasionally, for instance, in my case, it's the medicated shampoos. I don't use the medicated shampoos very often. They're happier in a dark environment that's cooler. So I keep those in a cupboard instead of out in my shampoo caddy. What examples do you have of stuff that you use maybe occasionally, but not like weekly? I have a lot of styling products. Good point. That's why I have the the hanging pocket organizer that I got from the tack line place um it's a for in the barn you know and it's got it's got big pockets and i can put the stuff that i don't use very often there with just enough of it showing above the pocket that i can identify what it is so there it's important not to overload your organizer 
space because you got to be able to see what it is. I think when I did the seminar in 2003 at Atlanta Pet Fair, I mentioned one trick that I do with stuff. You've got a deep shelf and you've got a lot of stuff on it. Put the stuff that you use the least way at the back and put the stuff that you use on nearly every dog or every day in the foreground. I think that's a super good tip. And avoid black tools. You know why I say that? Because you can't see black. Black disappears into the uh, void. And then there's the Susie pet peeve, which is when you take it out of its spot, it needs to go back in its spot. Amen. And for me, I'm a little, I believe they call it anal retention. I was just going to say a little anal. Because in my drawers, stiff brushes, handles face one direction and Fine and soft brush handles face a different direction. In my toolboxes, Phillips head screwdrivers face a different direction than flathead screwdrivers do so that I can reach in there and grab them without seeing. But I get that that's a little bit OCD. But you can a do that. A little anal, Susie. A but it helps. It yeah. saves well, if time. It, hey, girlfriend, if it works for you and it saves you time, it's a valuable tip. It'll work for somebody else. I tend to do a lot with color. So I I tend to avoid yellow things. So then I associate a tool with a color handle that it has. That work? And I hate that they make a lot of tools for men just black because they don't realize how easy it is to misplace a black instrument. I've got one more tip for clutter. And then we'll move on to another time waster. I think it's important to have somewhere in your environment a box for stuff you don't use. Like as you're going through and looking for the stuff you do use, you'll come across stuff that you don't use or aren't going to use. At that point, I toss it into that box. Then that box sits there. And every so often, maybe every month, every two months, every three months, I go through the box and I throw away stuff. I keep the box for a while to make sure that I don't actually need that stuff. But it's a way to keep the stuff moving out of the environment that you're not using. So you don't end up with a bunch of product. You know what it is is for me? What? It's a way to get a whole shitload of boxes around your environment. I have I have see-through, I have can't see through, I have plastic boxes, I have boxes that other people filled up, maybe with a nod of approval from me when we did a we tried to do a real rapid cleaning up a space. And they just sit there for years. But the point of this box is that you then throw the contents away. Does the give base to fill on the shelf then, you know, that's part of it. <laughs> I'm a mess. I, I admit it. I'm, okay. Well, I'm a hoarder. I'm a I'm a grooming product and tool freak and hoarder. Well, for the rest of you guys who don't want to end up like Barbara's, <laughs> although I had a great time playing in all your stuff. I loved it. It was really fun. <laughs> but I don't like to have that much stuff because I don't have that much room. I don't have a nice studio where I can stack all my stuff. So I have to keep the trailer quite limited. And Yeah. You know, when I worked as a mobile groomer for six months, it was the most organized I've ever worked. And I loved it. And it really taught me. And it and it taught me that when you're in a, a standing up space, you need to keep things right around your table. It's, you know, if you have a nice expansive st- 
be careful about having things be on the other side of the room. Yep. Because that's a time waster and it's a body waster. Okay, well, let's go on to the next subject. Let's take a quick break right here, right now. Let me tell you about Best Shot's newest addition to the Ultramax Pro line. Ultramax Hair Hold is a flexible hairspray that can be layered on for a stronger hold. Ultramax Hair Hold Spray is great, but my favorite new product is called the Max, and I won't groom without it. It's a fragrance-free, ultra-concentrate conditioner and detangler. It reduces drying time and handles undercoat and tangles like magic. Just a few drops in the final rinse or spray it on and dry it in. Contact your favorite Best Shot distributor or learn more online at bestshotpet.com. Grooming success begins with Best Shot in your tub. Made from the best stuff on earth. Barbara, there's always a lot of discussion about shampoo storage and shampoo safety and what happens if you don't store your shampoo right. And I just kind of wanted to revisit that. We've talked about it before, but you really are a great resource for information on this. How do you recognize in your undiluted bottle of clothes shampoo that it's gone bad. I mean, what is it that indicates that there's something wrong with your shampoo? This is in its original bottle. It can be either opened before or unopened, but it's in your storage area and you come upon it and you what? Look at it, smell it, taste it. I don't know. How do you tell your shampoo's gone bad? You you want to use all of your senses. You want to look for changes in odor. Uh, either doesn't smell right, it smells off, or it smells actually sour, or just it doesn't seem to have the same fragrance that it did. And you want to look at it because it can uh, kind of be off color or sort of have a grayish tinge, and or it can separate. So separation in itself is really an indication that the emulsifier has failed. So the question becomes, if there's layers, where's the preservative? Is it equally distributed in those layers or is it in one or the other? Good you point. Know, like, yeah, and can you just shake it up and then have it preserved or has there been contamination of an unprotected layer? We don't know. I don't know what's going on in that bottle when the layers separate the exception uh when layering is not alarming is when it says shake well before using then you know you don't have an emulsifier that's predetermined that's used to keep everything uniform in the in the product if there's no emulsifier and it says shake well before using you don't need to be alarmed by separation but for the most part separation means something funny has happened and i would dump that product the other thing that can happen is uh, the container itself can warp or collapse kind of like bloating cans kind of thing kind of like bloating cans or yeah it can either bloat or it can contract and you know so if the bottle goes all wonky you want to toss it well i have to admit if there is enough air space in my bottles in the garage and it's 30 degrees they kind of crunch up a little bit, but they always well, come back to normal size. But that's different, though, right? But 30 degrees, you know, like, you got to be careful. 
about extreme temperatures either way can cause product deterioration. I mean, not all of the ingredients of every product are going to hold up against excessive cold or heat. Well, it's only Uh, 30 degrees outside. It's not 30 degrees where my shampoo is, but it's it's probably 55 or 60 degrees where the shampoo is. Well, see, I think that's probably ideal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that kind of range in in the fifties and sixties is real good. I'm, I, it's more warm where I live, so I, you know, like we have more of a problem in the summertime with uh, products maybe overheating. Well, I got um, a question though. What makes the shampoo like alter the volume in the bottle what? or squish yeah. up or blow out or whatever? Okay. What makes that spoilage? spoilage so there's two forms of spoilage there's oxidation and there's contamination so oxidation is when oxygen intermingles with the product and it causes an ingredient or two to oxidize and kind of morph into another form oxidation is particularly problematic for for groomers, when it's products that contain uh, delimonene. Oh, so, so there are no opaque bottles, right? Or, or dark colored bottles usually. Well, that's one of the things. Yeah, opaque bottles, dark bottles. Usually if a product is subject to oxidation, it's going to want to be in a solid bottle or a dark bottle. I okay. mean, for example, when we have essential oils, we always store essential oils in dark glass. So you could have oxidation of ingredients. And what that does is it uh, causes an ingredient to become much more likely to sensitize, to cause irritation or allergic response. Now that could happen and it can be not necessarily detectable. Um, That's not good. Yeah. If there's oils or fats in the bottle, they can become rancid through oxidation and that's pretty detectable by smell, right? We all, we've all smelled that. You smell dog food that has gone rancid and there's a kind of a, a typical odor. Or olive oil. Olive oil is one. Yeah. It has Um, a rancid smell sometimes if it's been around too long or vegetable oils do, uh, you know. Yeah. 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 So so a lot of products will contain antioxidants in order to prevent oxidation. And antioxidants can be, uh, a good one is uh, vitamin E, tocopherols. And so sometimes... Companies put antioxidants in their shampoo to prevent oxidation, but they're they're advertised more for uh, nourishing the hair. You know right. what I'm saying? But the real reason they're there is to prevent oxidation of the of the substance. Okay, so then the other form of spoilage is contamination, and that's the scarier one. Because okay. contamination is usually bacterium, such as da, 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 something off it. your hands or yeah, you know, like you know, if in the you, air. Are you well in the air, but in the water? 
around right. the tub. There's a lot of bacteria and um, fungi in our in our environments, in our wet bathing environments. They're just it's they're just it's a given. And you know where there's a lot of contamination on money. <laughs> yeah, I do know so, that. <laughs> you know what? No, I I mean you you hear it all the time. I heard it the other day someone asserted that there was more fecal material on a dollar bill than on your toilet seat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to know that. And so, you know what, if you handle money, let's say like you send out a dog and you take the payment and it's cash and you handle the money and then you go back into the bathing area and you open the shampoo. What have you done? You've just taken the bacteria from that money it's transferred onto your hands. Your hands are opening the shampoo bottle and you're contaminating around the top of that shampoo bottle. Now, in a normal ah. circumstance, right, when you get it and it's a shampoo that's within its lifespan and it's been properly formulated, the preservatives and the antioxidants and stuff will battle those creepy crawlies, the bacteria and stuff. But if it's been around too long, Maybe not so much, right? There's generally a two to three year shelf life on most typical shampoos. Less so on shampoos that are using plant materials, botanicals, or protein materials, which are feedstock, or if diluted with water, water is like fertilizer to the garden of microbial ickies. Okay. It's like fertilizer. It just contains a lot of uh, food for uh, proliferation. But at this point in our industry, there is no requirement to put a used by or produced on date on the bottle. So we actually have not much of an idea of when that shampoo was produced or how long it sat on the shelf, either at the distributor or at the manufacturer. Yeah, they're, they're, um, that's true for the United States. Now in Europe, um, the general cosmetic uh, industry, they have more like, they have uh, icons. They have They have little... They have information on their bottles about if it's a used by, they have a a picture of a jar with a lid open and and then it'll say 12M, which means 12 months from the time you open it. Oh, that's a good system that we, there you go. This is somewhere where legislation would really be helpful for our products. It would be lovely if people would volunteer to do that. But that way we wouldn't have to guess how long ago our shampoo was made, especially if we don't go through it that quickly. Yeah, there are some, there's an occasional manufacturer, and maybe it's somebody that's selling products in Europe that requires it, that will have a manufacturing date on it. Uh, we just don't see used by dates. The other, because the other interesting thing is that a product can be manufactured in like November 2018 and it gets sent to a distributor and it sits in their warehouse 
for how long? Depends on the popularity of the product and how well the the distributor uh, is able to order and restore, restock products. If it's a less used product, it might sit at a distributor for six months. And that all adds to the time at which, you know, things can happen. The shelf, yeah. And the shelf, all, I think. The word plus, it. plus it, it, it diminishes, the, it uses up some of the shelf life in the system while it's in the system. And you don't know what the storage conditions have been. So you let's know, talk but, about what we do when we get it to our place. Now, opening the top a bunch of times also has an effect because it lets stuff in there, air and light and things like that. But if you keep it closed, you keep it in a dark area and you don't dilute it, those are probably your best yeah, defenses, and if, right? And, and, and if you... If you reduce the airspace, in other words, if you take something from a big, big bottle and you use half of it and then you put the remaining half in a smaller bottle. Less exposure. Oh, let's talk about refilling bottles really quickly. So when you refill a bottle, which is something that us in the mobile environment do often because we don't want to carry a gallon of or multiple gallons out there in the world. So if you're going to refill a bottle, what is the best procedure for doing that? How do you clean that bottle to make sure you're not passing along those contaminants so that you make your undiluted but in a smaller bottle shampoo contaminated? Well, you can clean it with soap and water. Soap and water are still the best sanitation, first-line sanitation, as we discussed, I think, last week or a week before when we were talking about the differences in the in the terminology but soap and water you want to clean it you want to clean them with soap and water then you could add what you're signaling me isn't shampoo soap and water (laughs) when you're rinsing your bottle out aren't you in effect cleaning it with soap and water or am i wrong yes but are you really cleaning all around the top and the grooves and all of that of the lids and are you cleaning your lids or your plunger uh you know i uh, you need to clean everything that's contacting the product um and you yeah you know but then i would suggest that you either do a vinegar rinse which acidifies the whole thing and kind of decreases its desirability for uh, bacteria or an alcohol rinse if you're dealing with just caps and uh, that kind of stuff. I always air dry. Air dry is good. You want to dry thoroughly before you add, before you refill, because otherwise you're just leaving water or fertilizer in there. Fertilizer. Just think of water as bug fertilizer <laughs> it's bug food it's actually bug food but you know it's all right yeah. okay so, so what yes. else the well there are a lot of people out there listening to us there may be people out there listening to us who do not have either shampoo delivery systems or recirculating bathing systems and are still physically diluting bottles of shampoo every day to use at the tub. 
What about those? What are the risks there? Well, the risk there are if if you don't use it uh, use the diluted product up, it's more likely to spoil. Um, you can't uh, mix up a diluted product and leave it around for months. And um, that's due to the preservative ratio, right? They've manufactured, right. yeah, they've made it a special formula that's going to keep this amount of shampoo safe. And then you go throw in water in there, which is food for bacteria. And then you've can change the ratio of preservative to shampoo ingredient. Right. See, I do learn. You do. You're a great learner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there you go. You guys, if you think you can't learn at 57 or or whatever Barbara's age is, uh, it's not true. You can still continue to learn. You can teach old dogs new tricks. We're proof of it right here. So how can you, so you, so the idea is that you just mix up enough shampoo to use for the day. I mean, I used to like to mix up enough shampoo to use for the dog. I just did it one dog at a time in a 16-ounce bottle. I know that's not ideal for the bigger dogs, but that's what I remember. Although, I say that, and I have always had a recirculating bathing system. If you have screwed up and mixed up too much shampoo, what about putting it in the refrigerator? That will help. That will give you a little extra time on that product. Refrigeration is a form of preservation, right? So maybe like you could could hold it over for the next day's use if you overmix something by putting it in the fridge? You know, most likely you're not going to have a totally contaminated product in 24 hours. It can, especially not in the winter. In the summertime when it's warm, that's when you really, that's when, that's when bacteria can proliferate overnight the fastest. In the cooler temperatures of winter, we have less proliferation and you probably have two or three days leeway there. But to be safest, safest, you would discard unused product or refrigerate at the end of every day. Great advice. Let's talk about those shampoo delivery systems. These are the, they call them bathing systems, but I don't really like that term so much, although they do flush shampoo and soap into the coat in the same way that a recirculator bather does or that our fingers do. But they have some form of a tank or receptacle or item that sticks into a gallon or vessel of shampoo and then it is transmitted through hoses in through some mechanical form of pump and squished out the other end those have a tendency to hold bacteria if you don't clean them right at least that is my understanding right because all of that tubing or in the case of a tank stuff sitting around in the tank and and there's valves and that sort of thing that's where bacteria like to accumulate in those little areas and cracks and crevices and valve systems and tubes in theory yeah in theory your manufacturer has probably given you some instructions on how to clean that thing out i would hope i've never used one of those systems except for at the occasional grooming show but flush it with vinegar maybe i don't know what 
Vinegar flush sounds good to me. Yeah, I would think if you could just yeah. go buy a white gallon of vinegar and stick the tube into that and suck it through the system, maybe. I'm guessing. Yeah, sort of like you, how you clean your, your coffee maker, right? Uh, I guess. I don't drink coffee, so I've never had a coffee maker. <laughs> All of all of my sweet love comes in the form of a blue can and has Pepsi on the label. <laughs> what about recirculating systems? To work effectively, they have to have a prime spot where they hold a little bit of water so that the pump can draw through it and create the suction that then starts the recirculator. Right, right. Always uh, the the pump always has a a little bit of water in the in it that uh needs to either be flushed out or disinfected in some way. So there's an, so, you know, like what we do is <coughs> run white vinegar solution through the bathing beauty at the end of the day, and then put the pump on its side and the hose over a, a rack so that the, uh, hose will dry out and the vinegar stays in the prime of the pump so that bacteria won't grow in there overnight. If you don't do that and you get in the morning and you start to bathe the dog and it smells sour, that's bacteria. Do a flush right then if you didn't right. do it the night before. Ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... I have not taken my bathing beauty completely apart because it seemed to me that it might not go back together. It's very old. Actually, mine's a hydro surge and it's pretty old. So what I do is I send it in for service and then let them take it apart and put it back together every few years. But for the most part, I do exactly what you're saying. I fill up the bathtub with as little bit of water as I possibly can to make the pump run. And then I dump in a good glug or two or three or four of the white vinegar. White vinegar is very cheap. It's easy to get at any dollar store or at the grocery stores or at the box stores. And it's super cheap. So I glug in some glugs of that. And then I run it through. And then I do what Barbara does. I hang my hose and I turn my pump on its side. Although the way I drive, I usually, you know, throw that water out of the prime spot without any problems. Well, and then, and then an, another thing, while you're, while you're flushing the bathing system with vinegar, you should also be spraying that on the sides of, of your tub. And, you know, you're actually disinfecting your tub daily that way because there again, it's moist and wet and Bacteria love that. My whole trailer is moist and wet, <laughs> especially at this time of year. So I have a spray bottle with a bleach cleaning solution for my walls because that's the only way I can keep the mold away, you know, wow. consistently. I know. It's just the way it is. I have a rhino lined walls and they can harbor stuff in them. So I spray it down with bleach. Don't use necessarily bleach on my bathing beauty, though. I know some people do that, but it has a tendency to break down rubber surfaces. And, yeah, and it also is corrosive to metal, and you've got a metal screen there. I, I don't use bleach. The 
the only thing I use bleach for in my bathing beauty is I would sometimes a little bit of uh, mold will accumulate in the in the nozzle in the end the little end of the nozzle and it doesn't get somehow it doesn't get taken care of by the vinegar so I take the nozzle off and I drop it in an alcohol soak I or a bleach but I you know like I am bleach hesitant there's nothing else that kills the mold like bleach though nothing kills mold like bleach that's true yeah Uh, so for my walls that's what i use but i but i but there are anti-mold well i'm gonna say i bet you i could find you something find me something because i have looked and and even though i have tried some other alternative products when i spray the bleach on i don't have to do anything to it it just kills everything that's there because what shows up are tiny little spots on my wall that are gray and so i just spray it and they disappear and they're gone and they don't come back until it gets wet for another day and a half and then they might start to show back up and i spray it down wipe it down and it's done the other stuff it didn't do that i didn't kill it on contact it it required maybe more applications or a drier surface or something that just didn't work very effectively. But there you go. Challenge for you, Barbara. Find me an effective mold killer that I can spray up where I can't reach because it's up in the corners. Gotta yeah, well, I, I need it too because I don't know if you've looked at my ceilings. Not recently. I, God. <laughs> well, you like, don't want to. Okay. <laughs> but, All right. You know what I want to do, though? I live moldy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's black and it looks icky, but I'm not sure it's viable. How right. can it stay viable in Arizona? You know, I don't Seems think it's unlikely. Can. Seems unlikely. Chris Bear Anthony visiting the groom pot again. Okay, so you know I love my Evolution swivel shears, and you even know that these customizable shears come in non-swivel as well. But did you know that they're the only ones I've been trusting my sharpening with for around 15 years? And that that's how we met? What? You haven't tried their sharpening yet? If so, send in your next batch of sharpening and you'll get one shear sharpened for free with a $75 order just for telling them where you heard about them. Your shears and blades will thank you. Groomers, take your seats. School is about to begin. Barbara, veterinary vocabulary this week is carcinogen. Oh, I know that. Yeah, it's a substance that's known to cause cancer. It's just as simple as that. We're going to be short on these ones today because we've got covered a lot of ground. Grooming glossary today is the keel. Do you know what the keel is? Isn't that a term for boats? It is a term for boats. <laughs> and it's the bottom of the boat. It's that that shape of the bottom of the boat. It's, not, it's where the lead is also. On a bird, though, the keel is an extension of the breastbone. And in grooming terms, it's that, sh- that forechest. That's called the keel, the forechest, the fluffy forechest. So that's the keel. Got it. Thanks. Okay, back to you. 
for our science study. <laughs> so uh, our definition du jour this week is science or beauty blogs. Which ones can you trust? So tell us about that concept. Okay, so I, I want to talk to you about uh, finding your information online and what do you believe? Because there's so much out there. So nine-tenths of the beauty blogs are beauty blogs are like recycled from other blogs and uh, it's very hard to get down to the original source of that information whereas when you're looking at science there's usually uh, many references Um, so that's one of the differences is you kind of have to take it on trust uh, in beauty blogs and some are much more trustworthy than others and just because a fact or a piece of information is repeated on many beauty blogs does not make it factual it does not give it greater validity than a piece of science information that you find in one place does that make sense to you? You got to be careful because our tendency is to say where there's smoke, there's fire. And if you see it a lot, then it must make it true. And that's not necessarily true. You want to look for beauty blogs. If you're going to read them and believe in them, you want to look for people who are blogging, who have um, a background in cosmetic chemistry or in science in some way so that there's science anchored. Now, science is sometimes behind intuitive knowledge or experiential knowledge, right? Because it takes a lot to do a study. And so doing studies is sometimes way behind state-of-the-art. And when you have a well-documented study, it can be funded by an industry inside group like Procter & Gamble. So it can can lean one direction. Well, it's, you know, like, no, science doesn't lean. Science, you know, like, it's not supposed to lean. It's It's not not supposed to lean. It's not politics, No, but it seems like when the study is funded by the cigarette company, they... Well, who else is going to, who else is going to fund the study? I'm just saying you got to still have your eyes open. That's all. Well, and I've got, and I've got to say, there is such a thing as a holistic approach to life, which would suggest that sometimes phenomena is not measurable by science, okay? Yep. Now, what's happened in the hair care industry is that uh, in the decades since the SEM high microscopic photography has come into play and we can actually see a hair shaft a thousand times, that has become a vital source of information and new knowledge about what happens to hair and how hair behaves. Right. It makes sense that the narrative would take a while to catch up with the science then, i.e. the blogs would take a while to catch up with the science. Yeah. And so it's back and forth, you know, Um, but 
but really some of the industry companies like Dow Chemical, they have a highly funded research and development group that's going to be on the forefront, you know, and, and they're interested not only in developing new products that solve problems and evolve uh, to consumer needs and requests, but also, God damn it, I lost my train of thought. Don't get old. It just kind of goes in there. It was all in there. It was all in there percolating and, and cooking and working. And then all of a sudden. Well, I can't even imagine how you work because I've got the dog chasing the cat and then chasing her tail and then the cat jumping on me. And I'm, I've got all this stuff happening over here. Well, and I'm watching it. And I'm watching you watching it. So I did not laugh. It's so funny. She spins around this way. You're, you're having a better time at home. <laughs> it's true. So bringing you back to the conversation, yes, Ms. Susie. So um, what did I just say? We were talking about Quiz. the Dow. Dow. Dow the way Chemical. Dow does the yeah, uh, Dow, Dow Chemical does a Dow study. Chemical has a lot of money for research. Procter and Gamble has a lot of money for research. Companies that are producing new chemicals, I'm going to call it what it is, new chemicals for use in uh, hair care, they're interested in uh, supporting their claims. So they have to do some, at, at least some kind of in house measurements and they're developing more and more ways to measure what happens to hair and this produces more information and more knowledge and uh it's kind of a just an ongoing process likewise my own process of being able to digest technical material and and uh codify that in a way that ordinary people can understand what I barely understand. Uh, it's a process for me. And I'll tell you one of the things that's happened to me uh, that I'll be talking about in the future is that in this last big article that I read of uh, effects of shampoo and conditioner on hair behavior uh, that ha- utilizes a lot of SEM photography has made has made me understand the justification for you're gonna this is gonna blow your mind. I understand the justification for the Ives San Bernard close open close methodology. Okay. Now see, I'm opening my mind. Learning opens my mind and sometimes I have to kind of backtrack and say, well, now I understand. So I'll be talking about this more in my latest webinars and in future podcasts about my new learning. So please, whenever I say something that I believe strongly that, that's on that day of that year. (laughs) Yes. You know, with brain cells in that order. With with those brain cells in that order. And uh, it could be shuffled around by new information at any time. 
and that's one of the things that I like about myself is that's that I'm still that I like about you as yeah, well. I'm yeah. all I'm still digging. I'm still uh you know it's it's amazing because I don't just go back to last year's information when somebody asked me a a question about uh hair care, I go see if there's been anything new added. Yep. Um so what I will do for those of you getting onto this subject about science or beauty bloggers, um, I will post on the GroomPot discussion group a list of references that I trust and use, okay? We'll just call it B-Bird's favorite trustworthy references or something like that, and we'll put it up. I'll post it on the blog, and we'll put it up in the files, okay? Cool. That sounds great. Well... Let's get the hell off the school stuff, okay? My head's going to explode. That was a lot of, that was too much. Now I know how you feel when I start going in deep with the business stuff. Yeah, (laughs) I know, I know. And I apologize to anybody else out there if I'm just like boggling your mind into little fractions. But like you said, you know, I'll absorb it eventually, right? Yeah, and that's just it. You know, I had to read about surfactant six times before I really understood what an anionic surfactant was. I, I mean, I had to to read it deep. Now, and now I've started reading more about environmental impact. I'm having to understand some of the the terms and stuff for uh, environmental science. Uh, God, I'm not going to go there for a lifetime. I'm telling you. It's it's another whole, uh, it's another whole area of science, another whole language. Yeah. And it's a deep one. And it's a deep one and people spend their lives on it and God bless them. Yes. uh, (laughs) You know, okay. So where are we? What's next? Okay. Well, we're going to move on. Summer is the season where we are likely to find dried out coats. And show season has a special shampoo and conditioner called Honey Pet. Honey Pet shampoo and conditioner is made with Manuka honey as an additive and also almond oil. And it's excellent in hydrating the coat. It also smells real good. And it comes with a matching conditioner that contains the Manuka honey, the almond oil, the sunflower oil, triglycerides, and a little dash of dimethicone, which assists in combing and brushing the coat. You can find these and all the great show season products at showseasongrooming.com. Let's see what's happening at the grooming table. All right, on to our at-the-table segment, Barbara. And it seems a reoccurring question always is about the hard water, soft water, and products choices and the difference between all that. And I was wondering if you could just kind of go over it a little bit more about the hard and soft water. So what is it? You know what I found? You know what I found in my um, going down the rabbit hole on this? I found a United States water hardness map. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a color thing. I can tell you looking at the map that uh, you're in good shape up there. Oh, nice. And, you know, I and I have no idea how accurate this map is, but it sure is pretty. 
I'm going to look it up right now. (laughs) And I'm going to uh, post it to the blog. But here's the deal. When water falls as rain, it's soft. It's free of minerals. It has no minerals. It picks up minerals as it passes through rock, sand, and soil. Hard water is high in mineral salts, especially calcium and magnesium ions. And those ions are very positively charged. Water hardness is measured in grains per gallon. So this map that I have over here is um, over 14 grains per gallon is extremely hard and so on and so on. And each each, uh, segment has a, a color. And it shows that the hardest water is up in the um, Midwest. The areas that are pretty well, only slightly hard, are most of Oregon, the, the western side of Washington, and then the whole uh, New England and southeastern United States area is pretty much uh, just slightly hard. Calcium and magnesium ions carry a positive charge, which tend to be attracted to the negative ions of the shampoo surfactants. So they fill them up. They fill up the hole. They they marry. They marry and they make it so that they can't collect up another one, right? Yeah. You know, in the case of soap, they, they get together and form an insoluble precipitate called scum, troublesome okay detergent surfactants will also attach to calcium and magnesium ions but the result is soluble so it gets rinsed out with a shampoo it does however distract some of the working element of your product and if you have extremely hard water you have to use more water or less diluted it won't dilute as well it won't lather as well so would you say some formulas would work better than others and you should like try experimenting with different ones? Yeah, you can try experimenting. If we only had in better ingredient disclosure, we would look for shampoos that are formulated with a chelating agent such as sodium EDTA. Now the trick about sodium EDTA is that it's also used as kind of a preservative enhancer. Okay. So it's used in larger quantity to formulate a chelating shampoo and in lesser amounts to just uh, help the preservatives along. But uh, nonetheless, it's the most common chelating agent. And it allow. And so what it does is that the sodium ETTA, it attracts the calcium and uh, magnesium ions to the sodium ETTA. And then, and so then, the detergent surfactant ions are free to do their job. Okay, so product choice can make one bit of a difference. What about treating the water? Is there a way you can affect the water? Yeah, but you, you can, but you know you have to do. Um, that's another. That's another whole blog to tell you the truth. I mean, there's just a lot of ways you can treat the water, but it can be costly, and. Um, you know, you have to check out what sort of a system that you're going to want to use. There's nothing you can just like easily add to the shampoo that's going to to do that for you. 
sometimes there's things you can screw on in between the line that add a water conditioner to them. That would be maybe one way. Like for me, when I'm filling up the boat, then there's uh, filters you can attach in between so that you can put a the hose, then a filter, then another hose, and then put it into your tank and that could treat it that way. But it would be harder in your house, although you maybe could use an attached filter or something like that. So basically, you guys that are stuck with hard water, it's about product. Yeah, it's about product choices. And easy groom shampoos are almost all made with sodium EGTA. So that's just a, a line of shampoos that I suggest if you have hard Hard water, you might want to try uh, an easy groom product. Um, Perfect. Don't expect your sales rep to really know about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've got a point there, Barbara. You got to come to the bird for that kind of information. <laughs> but it's worth trying. And and other than that, it's kind of a hit and miss situation. If if your one if your shampoo isn't working well. If you have to use a lot of shampoo, it's not lathering well, you can't dilute it, then try something else, you know. Um, yeah. Get a small bottle, though. Don't go for the gallons. Yeah. Do some experimenting. <laughs> All right. Now, I know you've been just aching to find out the answer to our trivia question. How oh, yeah. Go? What in the hell is this about the taste buds? Okay. So, how many taste buds do dogs have? Humans have 9,000. Cats have 4,473. Barbara, what is your guess? I'm going to say that dogs have more than cats. Yep. That uh, maybe they have like 3,000. Oh, no, but good guess. 1,700. You're only a little off there. 1,700 taste buds. Yeah, which doesn't explain why cats are so picky. All right. They can't taste. You know, yeah, so that they, it, you know, it's so just all attitude with them. Yep, it's all attitude. I uh, think you're that's right. That's why they can eat that cheap shit and like <laughs> Be perfectly they happy. Only taste it. <laughs> I can smell it. It's yuck. That's going to wrap it up this week on the Groom Pod. And happy grooming to everyone. Have a great week, Barbara. I will be meeting you here next week to do this all over again. How's that? Okay, that's good. And I will um, give you the link to the uh, United States water hardness map so that you can post that with the episode. And and then I'll put it up in the blog later on. Okay? Sounds good. All right, guys. Like I said, happy grooming. We'll see you next week on the Groom Pod. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now. Bye.